the earth stood still But he told us where we stand And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear Claude Rains was the invisible man Then something went wrong For Fay Ray and King Kong They got caught in a cellular jam Then at a deadly pace It came from outer space And this is how the message ran Pocus Pod! Pocus Pod! Pocus Pod! Do you want an intro, or do you want me to intro? Let's... No, I was going to say simultaneously intro. Let's not. We should do that thing where people, like, try and be funny by simultaneously talking and trying to match each other. Try and match each other. Hello, Uh, and and welcome welcome to to Punk Punk Goes Pod, Pod, the internet's internet's only podcast that chronicles... Feelers Records, Punk, Punk Goes, Goes Ellipses, Ellipses Series. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that was, we nailed it. Well done. I was, I was like desperately looking at your mouth, <laughs> following along from there and wondering how long we could do it, if we could actually do a full episode like that. I mean, if a full episode was 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm actually surprised that that went as well as it did. It actually didn't go too bad. <laughs> it was actually better than I was thinking, and I've I've drunk a couple of sips of uh, white wine, so I'm already tanked. Yeah, look, that's the <laughs> no, beauty no. of being in lockdown, is we haven't been able to drink out, so we are extremely lightweight. I'm al- I've always been a lightweight. Yeah. And it's funny, I can't remember who it was. Like, people have made fun of me in the past about it, and it's like, yeah, but... How much does it cost you to get drunk? Oh, I don't know, like a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm done after like two pints. So, yeah, yeah, you can you can enjoy drinking kegs worth of alcohol and needing to go to the toilet every twenty seconds. I'm fine with you know a couple glasses of wine and being very happy. Yeah. What are we doing this week? It's a special one. It is a special one. So this week marks the forty five year anniversary of forty five. Yeah, forty fifth. In yeah, 1975. 45th anniversary of the Rocky Horror Picture Show's debut. To this date as well. Yes, although I did see a conflicting date further down when I was doing my research, but that doesn't matter. In If it's wrong, then in America, at the moment as we're speaking, it is the date. Anyway. Yeah. So, to celebrate and acknowledge that milestone, we are going to be doing a bit of a deep dive on the Rocky Horror Show... The Rocky Horror Picture Show being the film adaptation, the soundtrack, and then, by extension, the Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show, which was released in 2003, I believe. Um, That's what you told on, me. On, I think, oh, crap. Silverman Silver, Records? Silver Sprocket. No, so it's slightly different. Springman Records. Springman Records. That was a very poorly done intro, but I'm sort of just... Happy to let it be. No, it was fine. Okay, thank you. Um, And you might be wondering, why are we doing the 45th anniversary and not waiting till the 50th? Because we won't be doing Punk Goes Pod at the 50th anniversary. It won't be, like, I would love to continue this on. 
do another podcast after this, but we won't be doing this in five years. Unless Punk Goes happens to release another couple, couple of comps. Which they could do. Yeah. Look, I've got some ideas, so um, maybe if they're listening to this and they get a little bit jealous that we're not talking about their music on this episode, hey, you know. And I mean, there's every chance they are listening because we were featured in a nationally syndicated article today. The, the Rebecca Black Smash Mouth uh, tale ensues, continues. Continues, yes. Yeah. Uh, to the point where... I was going to say Rebecca, Rebecca Black um, has caught wind of the fact that we are obsessed with her Smash Mouth cover and to quote her, I think she said something like, what is even happening? And that's just a mood for everyday life, well, never mind because this. Because one of uh, Richard S. He's friends uh, was his name? Jos- Joseph Arp. Um, wrote an article for Junkie about the about the the the, the cameo. Yes. Um, and and then basically, as soon as it was released, like maybe not as soon, but very soon after it was released, Smash Mouth was like tweeted out, "Oh wow, Rebecca Black is awesome." And then Rebecca Black tweeted, responded really quickly. What did she say? What is happening with the world or something? Uh, I think it's just what is even happening. What Let me is see. Even happening? How is anything real? How that, is anything which real? that is a huge fucking mood because I honestly feel like we've just entered a simulation, like more so than usual this week. How how amazing is that though? I know. So Rebecca, <laughs> I'm sure you have much better things to do than listen, but thank you from the bottom of our hearts for oh. giving Richard. The 30th birthday he deserved because yeah. we can't celebrate in person. Um, Absolutely. And also for redeeming Smash Mouth in some sense. Yeah. All-Star belongs to Rebecca Black now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Also, can I say Regeco or Rege- whatever you said? Regeca. Regeca. <laughs> you made it Regeco. That kind of sounds like a Bojack Horseman character that's like Rebecca Black as a gecko. Oh, my Regeco God. Black. <laughs> It just makes me think of McGaggy on The Simpsons. <laughs> but it's like they, they would do that with some famous people and then they would also just have, in in the midst of it, like just the famous people as well. Yeah. So it's like Quentin Tarantulino. It was like Quentin Tarantino <laughs> was a tarantula. But then they would just have whoever, like just another famous celebrity. Man. As themselves. <laughs> what a show. But this isn't a BoJack podcast. I would kind of love to, but at the same time it would just depress me. I don't to know. Each, to, to further along go, oh yeah, this character is irredeemable. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's probably already like a base out there upon which someone has discussed it ad infinitum. Yeah. But who knows? That's fine. So yeah, if you want to catch up on our oral history of the Smash Mouth incident, check in on our SoundCloud for last week's episode. Um, we did a very in-depth recap of it with our favourite person, Richard S. He himself. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I'm inclined to put the Smash Mouth incident to bed for the time being, but at the same time, like, it's been... Unless something huge happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I very excitedly got to play the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 Plus 2 demo today. 
sick. And I say one plus two because it is like it's that's how it's been written out is yeah. This is one and two, but it's one plus two. Not even an ampersand, so that's nah. that's a definite stylistic choice right there. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Uh, I almost haven't missed a step. It's, I'm a little bit rusty, but by the end, I was pulling off some pretty big combos. I'm I'm in love with it. I can't yeah. wait until you know twenty days until it gets released. Sick. I have it pre-ordered, and I'm very excited to play that. Um, it's it's one well, of those things. Like I was kind of I was excited, but I was also a little bit apprehensive. But playing the demos made me go, "Oh, okay, no, this is in good hands." Yeah. There's definitely an element of apprehension now whenever I encounter anything that's being rebooted for a modern audience, and that thing is something that I was the audience for when I was much younger. Like, Hmm. I get it now. I get why boomers got so... Well, I assume they got so, like, annoyed at, like, all the reboots of, like, Hmm. whatever. I don't know. Um, Yeah. I will say the only thing that I am apprehensive about is the publisher Activision... Who's sort of like one of those evil companies. Ah, yes. They, so Crash Team Racing, the Crash Bandicoot kart racing game, mm-hmm. came out, there was no microtransactions. Yep. And then a couple months later, there was an update to the game, and all of a sudden they got microtransactions for their online section. How's that legal? <sighs> I don't know. But so, so they've said, oh yeah, there's going to be no, there's going to be no microtransactions on release date right for for THPS 1 plus 2 which you know people have gone oh okay that's good it means there's no tra- microtransactions but then other people have looked and gone they said for release date they didn't yeah. say two months down the line there's not going to be microtransactions I couldn't really care less if it's for the online section yeah um, so what's the online se- like as a music music Video game idiot, like, what's the online component of Oh, like, game? multiplayer. Right, yeah. okay, yep, yep. So, like, so you might have to... Some games will do it. So, like, the, the most famous one was the Star Wars Battlefront 2, yep. where basically you had to pay to get better characters, or you had to... It's like Darth Vader. You had to either pay to get him or play for about 40 hours. Yeah, I remember the fallout from that like yeah, that the huge. makers just got reamed for it um so there's 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 um microtransactions there's like there's another term is like pay to win which is basically like hey you give us money and we'll give you better weapons or we'll give you a better car or we'll give you that will give you an advantage over someone who hasn't paid us money i kind of hate that like that... Oh, it sucks especially when you pay like i paid 70 dollars for for the remake for the, for the pre-order. Fucking hell. So if I get to this and I'm playing it and then soon down the line, they're like, oh yeah, start giving us money so you can get stats for you for whoever you want to use. That's going to suck. So if they release an update, do you have to update it? Like, will it sort of make itself obsolete if you don't? You don't, but you would have to be offline. It's like right. we, we would have to keep the PlayStation offline. That's so um, shit. We wouldn't be able to watch Netflix or anything because basically, the second that you will go online, it will it will update. Damn. Do you have your oh, old I could, PlayStation? I could turn off. I could probably turn off updates. Yeah. Yeah. That's crap. Yeah. Money is the fucking worst, honestly. But anyway, uh, what I've played, very much enjoyed. Can't wait to play the full product. And get into it. Sick. So, we should probably move on, or else I'll probably keep talking about things that 
don't pertain to this podcast whatsoever. Well, I mean, this doesn't pertain to it, but it's just such a key part of, like, the culture. But we we planned to do this since we started this. Mm. This was planned last year. Yeah. Episode one, we, we had this in the run sheet. We did. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, shall we get into the movie? I'm excited because I never really get to talk about movies. So, we're going to take a step back from the movie first and talk about the stage show. Okay. Um, I figured it makes sense to start at the beginning of this. Yeah. Because it's just super interesting the way it sort of progressed. So, for those of you who may not be in the know, uh, the Rocky Horror Show uh, is a musical stage show by Richard O'Brien, which was produced and directed by Jim Sharman. Uh, so, Jimbo. Yeah, Jimbo. Richard O'Brien is something of a New Zealand celebrity. Uh, he was born Richard Timothy Smish in... Smish? Oh my god. Richard O'Brien was born Richard Timothy Smith in Gloucestershire, England. And he moved with his family to Tauranga in New Zealand. Uh at the age of 10, so in about 1952, thereabouts. Uh, in 2017, Tauranga was identified as New Zealand's most mispronounced place name on Google Maps. Uh, and I'm almost certain I've mispronounced it myself. Apologies. Oh, I called it Tauranga. I, I, I called it Tauranga until I think the last time I was in Tauranga and I was watching the news. Yeah. And they said Tauranga and I was like, ah, whoops. Mm. Um... And that's what happens when you move away from New Zealand when you're six years old. When you move to a country that just butchers the English language. And you go to primary school and they go, oh, say fish and chips. Uh, and then they laugh at you and then you lose your accent. Uh, that's okay. I was, I'm sure I was saying Tauranga when I was six, so I really don't have an excuse. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Richard O'Brien received New Zealand citizenship in 2011. Uh, his case was considered an exceptional case because under the criteria he was too old to receive citizenship just under like their like it's that whole thing of like are you useful to our economy sort of thing I think okay. I could be paraphrasing Yeah, it's similar over here I believe I could be wrong um, but then there was an uproar over it and his, appli- his application was overturned and he was allowed to become a citizen I'm imagining just like an argument at the town hall with just everyone is just dressed as Rocky Horror picture Rocky. show characters. Richard is a national treasure. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, I for one have definitely visited the Richard O'Brien statue in Hamilton, New Zealand, and that was the peak of my well, one of my last trips to New Zealand. So yeah. Mm, good times. They have like a twenty four seven webcam on it, so like you can go and stand in a specific spot, then jump online and look at the webcam and see yourself on the webcam. <laughs> and yeah, I did do that. It was very fun and I like life affirming. Yes, yeah, I like that. Uh, and then Jim Sharman, so the guy who produced and directed the stage show, was born in Sydney, Australia, in nineteen forty five, and is a renowned and is renowned for his work as a theatre director. Uh, so he's been in the biz from about the 1960s to today. Uh, he is a writer and director for film and stage and has brought the likes of Jesus Christ Superstar, Hair and A Midsummer Night's Dream to Australia. 
So, to quote our favourite friend, Wikipedia, As an out-of-work actor in London in the early 1970s, O'Brien wrote the Rocky Horror Show to keep himself busy on winter evenings. Since his youth, he had developed a passion for science fiction and B-horror movies. He wanted to combine elements of the unintentional humour of B-horror movies, pretentious dialogue of schlock horror, Steve Reeves' muscle films and 50s rock and roll into the Rocky Horror Show. Uh, the stage show premiered in London on the 19th of June 1973 with a cast that included, among others, Tim Curry as Frankenfurter, Pat- Patricia Quinn as Magenta, uh, Nell Campbell, also known as Little Nell, as Columbia, and Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff. So he really did just bring a lot of the cast from the original stage production onto the movie. Mm, yeah. yeah, he did. Uh, the stage show has remained in almost continuous production since its debut, except for, I imagine, 2020, because everything is different now. They're probably doing, like, a, a you know, like what they did with Hamilton. Yeah. You could probably watch it online somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So. Probably not on Disney+. Plus. No. Although, it is owned by Walt Disney, because Walt Disney bought out 20th Century Fox. Oh, uh, yeah. But, and I didn't include this, so I'll just put it in here as an interesting tidbit, they specifically excluded the Rocky Horror Picture Show from the Disney vault so that it can keep doing its midnight runs today. Okay. So, like, one of the few kind things that the Walt Disney yeah. Company has done. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really generous of the Walt Disney Company. I mean, company. it also means that they're going to get a shit ton of revenue from it, but also... Oh, yeah, but, like, the... They're not just going, nope, not doing that anymore. It's ours now. They're not doing that weird thing with that, like that movie, Splash, the, I think it's Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah, Daryl Hannah's a mermaid, <laughs> and they, on Disney Plus, there's a scene where you see her butt. Right. But now they have, on Disney Plus, they've CGI'd her hair to be extra long to cover her butt, but now it just looks like she has a really hairy butt. Oh my god. It's- yeah. But, like, it's not like it's her bare ass. Like, she's a mermaid, isn't she? Yeah, but I think it's like a mermaid. It's like when Ariel can get... When Ariel gets legs. Right. Okay. It just... Ugh. Disney is so weird when it comes to, like, sex and culture. Like, or they could have just left it as is and not scandalised it. But that's fine. While you're looking that up, I will continue... (laughs) So, the film adaptation of the Rocky Horror Show was released on August either 14th or 15th, I'm not sure which, uh, in 1975 uh, under 20th Century Fox. Uh, So, Richard O'Brien and uh, Jim Sharman, my god, I'm very bad at names today, uh, they collaborated on the screenplay for it, and then Sharman directed the film alongside Lou Adler and Michael White as the producers. Wow. So it's not is... even like the original was that bad. That is horrific. In the original, her hair was still covering her butt. But it's like, you can see a little bit of curb on the butt. That's so stupid. Yeah, now it just looks like, like she has a terrible mullet. Man. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I was just catching up our audience on the fact that Jim Sharman and Richard O'Brien wrote the screenplay to the Rocky Horror Show picture show. Mm-hmm. And then Lou Adler and Michael White produced it. So, to clarify, Lester Lewis Adler, or Lou Adler, 
is an American record producer, music executive, talent manager, songwriter, film director, film producer, and the co-owner of the Roxy Theatre in West Hollywood, California. Mm. So, to quote Wikipedia yet again, Adler has produced and developed a number of iconic musical artists, including Carole King, Jan and Dean, The Mamas and the Papas and The Grassroots. King's diamond-certified album Tapestry, produced by Adler, won the 1972 Grammy Award for Album, album of the Year, and is widely considered one of the greatest pop albums of all time. Isn't the Grassroots Creed Bratton's band? Oh, maybe. You keep looking into that and I'll look up Creed Bratton. Uh, Michael Simon White uh, was a British theatre and film producer. Uh, He produced 101 stage productions and 27 films over his 50-year career. Uh, But sadly, he died in March 2016 at the age of 80. So yes, it was Creed Bratton was in the grassroots. That rules. Yeah. Ah, oh, this just keeps getting better. Creed Bratton from The Office, who played Creed Bratton. Yeah. Yeah. So, like Sam mentioned up top, much of the original London theatre cast made up the film cast, alongside Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss, Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors, American singer Meatloaf as Eddie, and now retired actor and antiques dealer Peter Hinwood as the titular Rocky Horror. I was really hoping you would say Janet Weiss, so I could go, Weiss! <laughs> I think I got it wrong. I think it's Weiss, and Brad says Weiss, and she's like, Weiss! And he's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of the song, Better Weiss. Yeah, Janet Weiss. Janet Weiss, yeah. Man. Whoops, my bad. So, another sort of, in- I don't know what people classify as interesting or not, but Peter Hinwood did not sing as Rocky, so instead... An Australian singer who was born in Essex, but nobody cares. He did the dubbed vocals for Rocky's singing parts. Let's and... be real, he was there for the body. Oh, Rocky. yeah. Yeah. So, Trevor White, so the voice of Rocky, previously landed the role of Jesus in Jim Sharman's 1972-73 to production of Jesus Christ Superstar. White is perhaps best known for his work as the first true vocalist, in quotes, of British instrumental pop group Sounds Incorporated whose version of the William Tell Overture reached number two on the Australian charts in 1964. Wow, that sounds like a fucking dismal year. I'm Like, I should have listened to it, but I forgot to. I want to hear what their pop version of the William Tell Overture sounds like. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Like, the William Tell Overture is, like, a well-known, like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it's not, like, strings and shit, though, necessarily. No, probably not. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the Rocky Horror Picture Show opened in the UK at Rialto Theatre in London on the 14th of August, 1975, according to Wikipedia, and in the United States at the UA Westwood in Los Angeles on the 26th of September. And again, to quote our friend Wikipedia, before the midnight screening success, the film was withdrawn from its eight opening cities due to very small audiences, and its planned New York opening on Halloween night was cancelled. 
But still in limited release four decades after its premiere, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is the longest-running theatrical release in film history. It is often shown close to Halloween. Today, the film has a large international cult following and has been considered by many as one of the greatest musical films of all time. It was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 2005 as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Aesthetically significant. I love that, though, because it yeah. is. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit further Definitely. on. Like, so I put in a challenge for you, Sam. <laughs> Can you give an overview of the plot, please? So Brad and Janet are just finished... Um, at their friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. Janet catches the bouquet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then Brad feels, I guess, obligated to propose to her, but he still loves her. He loves her. Okay. That's some editorialising on your end. He had a ring, didn't he? He, like... Did he have a ring? Yeah, he has the ring to prove that I'm not joking. Or no joker. Oh, okay, so no, no, no. He's into it. He's... Well, no Joker. Let's go into the, the 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 plot line, and we can see why maybe they would have been a little bit apprehensive. But okay, mm. so they're driving because they're going to go meet their friend Doctor Scott. Yes, and, to celebrate. To celebrate, and they get a flat tire. It's raining outside. Um, Susan Sarandon or Janet doesn't have an umbrella, so she uses a newspaper to cover her head, mm-hmm. uh, like like a f- big-headed idiot, um, and <laughs> they. They go to, they find a castle. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. Like Correct, big, yes. It's not a castle. It's like a big sort of evil looking mansion. Gothic mansion. Yes. Uh, they want to call, they want to find a telephone so that they can call a mechanic to fix the flat tyre. Yep. Also, Brad said, damn it, I didn't put in the, the replacement tyre. I think they did, but it needed some air, according to the guy who's doing the FBI Oh, okay. Like the detective guy. All right. Um, so they meet, they knock on the door, they meet Riff Raff, the mm-hmm. handyman, mm-hmm. and he takes them to the party. Yes. There's a party, and at the party they meet the uh, the man of the house, mm-hmm. Dr. Frankenfurter. Yes. Frankenfurter. Yes. And he's very excited because this night he's creating a man. Yes. Uh, so he's creating the man. He brings him in, shows them the creation of Rocky. Yes, Rocky and it's, it's it's very much it's very it's very much well you know the whole thing of like Richard O'Brien loved old horror movies. It's Frankenstein. Well, yeah, and also the tank that he emerges out of was used in I think Frankenstein or I believe not. Well, it was in something. I saw it in because my research. I I'm gonna, I'm going to doff my uh, music music my movie history cap please frankenstein, do. frankenstein was laid on a slab and raised up into the ceiling where there was a lightning storm happening huh well there yeah. you go um so then yes rocky is birthed mm-hmm. and then out comes eddie yes uh columbia's boyfriend or beau or love interest columbia being one of the mm-hmm. attendants of the house yes played by little nell yes and fellow australian oh is she i believe so uh he's killed almost immediately eddie he, eddie rip he he's on a motorcycle sings a song and is bludgeoned to death mm-hmm. with a with an axe thing by frankenfurter frankenfurter then takes eddie not eddie takes rocky to bed and then he he 
puts Janet and Brad in separate bedrooms. May I please pause you for a second? Yes. The tank and dummy used for Rocky's birth originally appeared in The Revenge of Frankenstein. There you go. Please continue. Um, and I feel like I'm doing a lot of and then. No, and I then, love it. Go for and it. And, and then... So Janet is, is asleep in the bed or she's trying to sleep. She's just beside herself. She's so frightened because she's a woman... And also because, like, someone's been killed and they are in a oh, stranger's yeah, they witnessed, house. they did witness that, didn't Like, they? they went through a lot of shit in one evening. Yeah, they did witness that. Um, this was something that just... When I first watched this as a kid, because my sister owned it on VHS, and it was really baffling to me how up and down everyone's emotions are. <laughs> like, yeah. like, Columbia goes from... Witnessing her, the love of her life, or like the guy that she loves, who whatever Eddie is to her, uh, get murdered. She has the moment where she's in the room with Magenta, the 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 other housekeeper, mm. along with Riff Raff, and they're laughing and they're joking and whatnot. And then they have dinner, and then she's upset. Yeah. And it's like, and then like, yeah, Janet and Brad are sort of yeah up and down. I, that confused me when I was when I was younger, but you just sort of have to take it. Yeah. With a grain of salt. So. Back to the story. Janet is trying to sleep in the bed. There's a knock at the door. Brad comes in, her new fiancé of about 12 hours. Yeah. Probably even less at that stage. Probably like eight hours. Yes. And they're canoodling. Oh, no, the wig comes off. It's Frankenfurter. Plot twist, yes. With his Frankenfurter. And he convinces Janet... He convinces Janet that they should, you know... Mm-hmm. Fuck... Okay, yep. And and so that's I, I'm assuming that's her first time as well. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Um which is kinda of funny that like out of like basically the Brad and Janet fuck everyone except for themselves. Except for each other. <laughs> yep. And so then Riff Raff, who's I guess jealous of Rocky because Rocky's, you know, getting all this attention or he just doesn't like Rocky, frightens Rocky off. With some fire again, like Frankenstein's monster. Yes, Frankenstein's monster did not like fire. Okay, yeah. And yes, I'm that that nerd that's like, no, it's Frankenstein's monster. Everyone is. It's fine. And then cut to the next scene. Brad's in bed trying mm-hmm. to sleep. Janet comes in. Only Janet has very broad shoulders now. Okay. Janet has a very big build. Janet gets into bed. They start canoodling. The wig comes off. It's Frankenfurter again. Did it again. Frankenfurter. Plows both of them, mm-hmm. takes them to Pound Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet, feeling remorseful, uh, leaves the bedroom and she comes across a video or she comes across security footage of Brad and Frankenfurter after mm. their uh, post coital cigarette. Right, yes. And so she finds Rocky upset because he was being, he was, he'd been attacked and he'd been chased by dogs. Rocky is very distraught because, of course, he is only about seven hours old at this point. Yep, I am but, just seven hours old. But he is ripped. He's gorgeous. He's a he's an Adonis, and she wants to bone him as well. Yes. So she does, mm-hmm. and then their friend Brad and Janet's friend Doctor Scott comes to the house, mm-hmm. and Frankenfurter thinks, "Oh wow, uh, what are you doing? What's what's." What is, what is your game here? Why why is this guy coming here? And then it turns out that Frank no, that turns out that Doctor Scott is there because 
he's looking into his nephew's disappearance. His nephew being one... Meatloaf. Edward Meatloaf Ed- Eddie. Yep. Whatever his full name is. <laughs> and they discover that, that Janet and Rocky have been canoodling mm-hmm. in, in, in the, uh, the tub. Yep. Then they just go and have dinner. As you do, yes. As you do. They're having a very cold, uh, you know, very icy personality. You know, none of them are really talking. And, you know, Dr. Scott reveals, yes, that Eddie is his nephew. Mm-hmm. And that there might be a plot where it may be Dr. Scott was a former Nazi scientist or something. Because it's like, what's your real name? It's Dr. Von Scott or something. Oh, okay. And this was only like 30 years removed. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. And so, then Frankenfurter is celebrating, because it's Rocky's birthday, essentially, like, it's his actual first day of birth. Yes. And Columbia cracks the shits and storms out. Frankenfurter reveals that Eddie, Eddie's corpse is underneath the table. It's a glass table. There's a tablecloth reveal. He's dead. They're probably eating Eddie. Mm -hmm. That's the implication I got. Yeah. I'm getting really hot here. Oh my goodness. Taking off my shirt. They all kind of have an argument with Frankenfurter. Frankenfurter glues their feet to the ground, turns them into naked statues. Mm -hmm. And then he's putting on his last performance. Yes. And it turns out that, oh wait, they're aliens. Riff Raff and Magenta attack. Yes. And they, they give him one last song. And then they kill him. And then they kill Columbia. Mm-hmm. And then they they tell Dr. Scott, Brad, and Janet to leave because they got to go back to their planet of transsexual. Transylvania. Or Transylvania in the in the universe transsexual? Ah, uh, so I, I think it's the planet transsexual maybe in the universe Transylvania. Transylvania. Not sure. And so the, the whole mansion is a ship. Yes. Essentially. And that's basically the ship goes off. They have one last song. And that's that's about it. There's like some sort of I think there's some sort of kind of plot where it's like if they stayed too long, they would basically be kind of hypnotized right. by Frankenfurter. That's why they're very enamored by him in the pool and everything mm. towards the end. Um, and that's the plot. Yeah. So if you've never watched it before, you don't have to now. How was it? <laughs> How was that? It was very. It was a lot more detailed than I was expecting, but it was very good. Well done. Yeah, I could have definitely shortened that. That's fine. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Can we keep going? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, very good. So, what does the Rocky Horror franchise mean to you in terms of just your, I guess, like, pop culture experience, your kind of thing? Oh, it's definitely... I mean, it's a movie that we've seen... It's a movie that we've seen together, like, four times. Mm, I'd say so, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, how... In, I don't know if it's necessarily... It's definitely a movie that I I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's a terribly important movie to me. Yeah. But it's, like, in the, you know... It's definitely... It's the poster child, almost, for... One of the poster children for cult movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially midnight movies. Um, you know, 
if we didn't have this, we would definitely, because there were other things coming out around about that time, we would have definitely still, you know, Dawn of the Dead would have still been a success, or Night of the Living Dead would have still mm. been a success, full, like, midnight movie. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Like, the black exploitation films would have still happened. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's that thing of... Like, it turns cinema into an event. Yeah. Where people were getting up and dancing around. They were laughing at the, you know, they were cracking jokes. They would... They sort of had, like, cues and things to, like, throw yeah. props or act uh, like, act along in the front or call out things. Like, it might be a bit of a reach, but if we didn't have Rocky Horror, we might not have people throwing spoons at the screen during the room. Oh, this is definitely the predecessor to the room. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's definitely, like, I, I watch it and go, oh, I can see his... I could see his love for, you know, yeah, old horror and sci-fi. Mm. Um, you know, I'm coming at it as like a movie person kind of perspective. But it's 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 really interesting because it's like, it's basically the two American characters in it are basically, you know, it's like bringing two people from the 50s and they don't get to, like, they just time warp to the 70s yeah after yeah. like the free love movement after the vietnam war just after like an awakening like after all of this incredible stuff that happened within the span of 15 to 20 years and it's shocking yeah. to them and it's we're not even so much it's not like brad and janet are our proxy mm. because they're so square that we don't want to be them yeah yeah and and yeah, like the, the 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 sort of love letter to old old science fiction and horror, it's it's very much there. But then it's like, oh yeah, but this is still a movie in the seventies. This is still post Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, there's still a bit where he murders a man with an axe or yeah. a pickaxe or whatever that is. There's still potential cannibalism in this movie. Like, it's still and like the idea kind of still unsettles me the fact that he creates Rocky just as a sex thing. Yeah. Just as a sex toy. Just to fuck this thing that he's created. This living, breathing, breathing thing. It's... It's so... Like, it's it's dark. Yeah. Where... Where, like, you can look at it on one level and just go, oh, yeah, yeah it's it's funny. And it is. It's, it's so darkly comedic. Yeah. And, like, we saw the... We saw the stage... We saw the stage performance, yes. the stage play, and it was really fun. Um, I think there are definitely people whose personality is my favourite movie is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. And there were definitely, we were sitting in front of those people and it was like, can you just shut up? Not everything is hilarious in this. Yeah, yep. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's an incredibly important film um, that's just, and it's just so... Like, it fits in with the album, because it's... I hate to use the term, but this is fucking punk rock. This is a punk rock movie. Mm. Yeah, I've been talking a lot. I'm losing my voice, so I'll let you go. Okay. Same same question. Yes. Well, for me, I think... I have a soft spot for it purely because... I fucked with this movie as a kid, but completely with zero context of, like what it was actually about. So, like, mm. in primary school, I'd have to, like, there were days where I stayed back after the school day had finished until mum was available to pick me up. So, like, hanging out in the classroom with some other classmates, blah, blah. And 
our teacher would like put on some music and one of the songs that she'd put on a lot was the time warp so yeah. like we would dance the time warp and like dick around and have fun and like zero context like that is sort of like it's like well i guess for australians like the nutbush or like the what's the damn that disco one i forget what it's called doesn't matter hustle or whatever like it's a thing where there's like the steps to take and you mimic them and yeah. it's like a dance phenomenon you'll still hear it like re like super mix mega mixes of this at parties i'm sure i don't know um and so yeah like me and my friend Gemma were like fuck yeah this rules Gemma would come and stay at my house and mum was like yeah like we've got rocky horror picture show you can watch it but you have to stop watching it after the time warp <laughs> and so for, for the all... first 20 minutes <laughs> so yeah for all intents and purposes it was like sick like this is a short film right yeah yeah well it was just like, like and it was one of those things like i wasn't at all curious about what happened post that i was just like cool i've listened to my favorite song on they, this they eat tea and cake they do a little bit of exercising and they go home happy exactly yeah like it was great so i had a great time um I feel like at a point we might have been able to like edge to like maybe hot patootie and then we had to stop. I'm not sure. Like essentially it was like we were allowed to watch up until like shit gets 100% real. Like yeah. I think we had to turn it off right before Eddie got murdered. Yeah. Like but like it was even then I was like this rules and then like I got to an age where I was allowed to watch the whole thing. Loved it. And it's just been one of those mainstays. Like, this isn't part of my personality, but I love it a lot. Like, and I love that it informed a lot of just the aesthetics of, like, just that sort of gender-bending kind of Mm -hmm. element of, like, emo and scene music in the 2000s and all that. Like, I made the comparison that young Meatloaf basically looks like what Gerard Way looks like now. (laughs) (laughs) He just looks like Gerard. And it's interesting because, like, Gerard Way has cited this as one of his favourite movies. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, like, I was really hoping to find a quote, because I remember reading a quote from him in, like, one of the many magazine articles I collected about him when I was a teenager. And, yeah, he said something along the lines of he loves the sort of, like, nihilism almost of it. Like, yeah. they all sort of know that they're fucked. Yeah. So they might as well just give in to whatever and, like, fuck around and, like, yeah, party and just yeah explore and like be themselves and like express themselves and all that well it is very much like partying like it's the end of the world yeah which you know it kind of is for you know frankenfurter and yeah you know for columbia and and, you know whatnot yeah and so like and that visual element like apparently gerard borrowed a lot of just that sort of glam rock sort of look to bring into my chemical romance and then when he did hesitant alien like his own stuff he again was very like costumed and like set up like it's never just been a dude on a stage yeah until 2020 or 2019 which makes me very happy um so yeah i just i really appreciate like the cultural touchstone that it is but in saying that i'm also in a position where it's been easy for me to just be like, oh, this rules, I really like it, because as a cis, hetero person, there's no risk of me feeling alienated, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, we we can't really make claims of, like, oh, yeah, did this for the, the gay community. And, like, yeah. we'll get into, like, the impact in the LGBT community, for example, yeah. but, again, like, 
it's easy for us to be neutral or to talk about it and just be like, yeah, so this is what people think about it because, for instance, like, I never watched this while I was grappling with my sexuality, for example. Mm. Like, I am very much removed from... Yeah, like, there was nothing critical to my identity that came out of it, I suppose. I think, for me, when I saw it, it was... Because I was, you know, as I said, I was a kid watching it with my sister and it was like... I was just sort of like... Wait, two men can have sex? Mm. Huh, okay. See, I think, like... Yeah, I remember, like, as a kid, like, one of our family friends is gay, and I can't quite remember what that conversation was. Mm. But it obviously was just such a natural, like, oh, yeah, so this is his deal, that it was just like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, again, like, this was another sort of text where I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so in that sense, like, it was good. But again, that's probably because I wasn't then being like, oh, is this, so, like, am I, yeah, I don't know. Like, anyway. Yeah. No, it's just, I don't know. I think it's funny when you, when, like, when I was watching it today, because we watched it before we recorded this, and when you, when Frank and Ferdinand's intro, which is, you know, a fantastic introduction oh, to this yes. character. And he's got this sort of like, it's like the kind of like the Dracula cape, like covering yeah. his whole body. <laughs> the only kind of hint that you kind of get, well, he's got like big red lipstick, but he's, you could see like he's wearing high heels and like fishnets, but you don't see that until, he, true, until yeah. he throws off the cape. And it's like, so you're kind of wondering like, okay, so what's, what's he rocking under there? What's he got? It's like maybe a suit or something. Like what's he, is he like a little bit like, like, he's maybe a little bit femme or something, but then, like, he throws it off eventually, and it's like, yeah, fishnets. Corset. Corset. And that's all he wears for the rest of the movie. Oh, and it's like, so good. Okay, so this isn't a regular movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a strange one. And look, I imagine it probably was in 1975. It wasn't even. I wouldn't even really say it's that racy, though. No. As I was saying to you earlier, like, the the raciest it gets like this movie for all about like sex and everything the only time you see a naked body intentionally yeah is the naked statues yeah there is yeah there is some nip slips at the end but but that's like they're not sexualized like, no it's just that's no it's because they're in a pool and they're like dancing around and writhing and whatnot yeah yeah i I don't know. There's, I think, like, maybe that was to do with censoring, like, some sort of, like, maybe they couldn't show for... But, like, I like that that was a deliberate thing that they didn't... I but don't it, know. But it played at midnight movies. Like, this was... Like, it's titillating, but it's not, like... Although that's one of those things that, that America has a real hang-up about is sex. Yeah. Like, violence is not a problem at all. That's it's true, sex yeah. is mm. the big, the big sticking point with America. So, yeah, maybe there was some some stuff that, you know, got censored out. But, yeah. It's, it's kind of... I'm going back to the idea of Frankenfurter creating Rocky just to fuck him, and it reminds me of the movie Andy Warhol produced at Flesh for Frankenstein. Ooh. And Dr. Frankenstein, I'm pretty... I have it on DVD. Oh. Dr. Frankenstein basically creates... Like, yeah, basically things I'm pretty sure to fuck them. I can't remember. It's been right. a while since I, since I saw that movie. That's upsetting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So, yeah, like we mentioned, I don't know, minutes ago. So, yeah, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like, just the entire sort of Rocky Horror franchise is very much beloved in, like, the punk 
scene and I drew like those wiggly lines around scene because like who knows like it's a nebulous term I feel like definitely this was one of those ones up there like when we were going through the scene the emo scene yeah this and Nightmare on Elm Street and Donnie Darko yeah where the where the sort of I can't think if there was any there was probably something else but like I feel like this was pretty beloved by emos yeah maybe not so much as Nightmare on Elm Street and Donnie Darko but yeah I feel like this is one where you potentially had to have done a bit more homework, if that makes sense, because yeah. it was sort of a generation past, or, like, before us. Yeah, but, yeah. But then again, like, so much of the art that we consumed at the time was informed by this and, like, similar things, like, I don't know, Hedwig and the Angry Inch and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, for instance, like, just reading up on the production of the film even, like, I did not realise how rooted in, like rock and roll slash punk culture it was for the time. Yeah. So, like, Pierre LaRoche, who previously worked as a makeup artist for the likes of Mick Jagger and David Bowie, so, for instance, he created the famous Ziggy Stardust look. Okay. Uh, He redesigned the makeup from the stage production to the film adaptation. So he designed the makeup for each character. And then... The man who shot the 70s, uh, Mick Rock, was asked, well, tasked, I should say, with shooting production stills. Uh, so he, I think he's published books of his work since. But outside of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, he's photographed the likes of Bowie, Lou Reed, Queen, Blondie, the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. He's shot over 100 album covers, including Queen's Queen 2, which is the four of them with their arms, like yeah. the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. Uh, he's done Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. I love rock and roll. And he's done Cat Stevens, Foreigner. Like, yeah, very much a heavyweight in, like, the music photography industry. And then, finally, costume designer Sue Blaine, who designed the costumes for both the stage show and the film adaptation, is more or less credited for creating the look that became the template for punk rock fashion. So, to quote Sue herself... She said, I think certain elements of punk, for instance, ripped fishnet tights and glitter and the funny coloured hair, a lot of those aspects were directly attributed to Rocky. Which, I don't know, when I first read that I was like, that's a bit of a reach, but then I sort of think about it like, I feel like it sort of translated it from like one sector of like, music culture into another even, like, and just that sort of idea of like, glamming it up and making it sort of a step more androgynous maybe yeah 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 um so it's just yeah like i sort of think about like i've had colored hair i've worn fishnets i've worn glitter like you just sort of think like oh yeah like a lot of this just sort of underlying stuff it's like cool you can tie it back to this kind of costume design (laughs) and i kind of want to bring it back that would be so good I'm continuing on the thing of the like production of the movie and just some of the people that wanted to be involved. So Steve Martin auditioned for the role of Brad. He would make a good Brad. He would have made a good Brad. I think Barry Boswick is very good as Brad. Yeah. Um, both very handsome men. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Martin was, you know, kind of funnier. Yeah. Though, um, though Barry Boswick was very funny as the mayor in Spin City. Mm. Um, Mick Jagger wanted to play Frankenfurter. I can't see it. Would have been interesting. Like, they both have huge mouths. Yeah. Mick Jagger and Tim Curry. This is my favourite, and I'm kind of upset, but I have a reason for not being upset as well. Vincent Price was offered the role of the criminologist, but turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. 
Mm-hmm. He was interested in the role as he had seen the West End musical and loved it. Yep. So Vincent Price is my favourite actor, and I would have loved to have seen him in the uh, in the role as criminologist. But I also appreciate Charles Gray, who they got to play as mm-hmm. the criminologist, because he was he was the third Blofeld in um, the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. Oh. But it's like this weird storyline. So like Blofeld and the previous two had been bald with the scar, the Doctor Evil right. template, yep. and now he has hair and that he's cloned himself, and it just gets really silly. Sick. That is great. Um, oh, what was so, yeah, going? I think there's like a scene where like James Bond, who's played by Sean Connery in that one, is chasing after him. He's like, I'm over here, Mr. Bond. Or am I over here? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is wonderful. Like two of them. Oh, so good. <laughs> so, as we've mentioned earlier, and again, like, we can only say so much, given that we're both hetero and cis. But, yeah, the Rocky Horror Picture Show also became a key pop culture phenomenon for the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, once again, Wikipedia delivers. Beyond its cult status, the Rocky Horror Show is also widely said to have been an influence on countercultural and sexual liberation movements that followed on from the 1960s. It was one of the first popular musicals to depict fluid sexuality during a time of division between generations and a lack of sexual difference acceptance. Uh... So, music professor at Cornell University, Dr. Judith Ann Perino, uh, she compares Brad and Janet's initiation into Frankenfurter's world to the self-discovery of queer identity, for example. Oh, yeah. And also to the traditional initiation of, quote, virgins in the shadow screenings, which was new people who showed up to watch the midnight movie and dressed up and, like, did the performing and stuff like they would sort of almost get hazed in a sense, or like they'd go through like an initiation ritual of like, you're new here, get up on stage. That is very interesting because they are, they're tormented throughout this movie. Mm. And I mean, going by the, looking at the production, it seemed like Susan Sarandon kind of was just tormented on the set anyway. Yeah. Um, she did not have a good time and she does not like talking about this movie. Yep. Um, but yeah, basically by the end of it, they're dressed like them. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, like it's just, yeah, it's a really interesting um, parallel. Yeah. And then June Thomas, a journalist and senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, once wrote, I was a semi-regular at the midnight screenings of Rocky Horror at the State Theatre in Newark, Delaware in the early 80s. And despite the presence of many a heterosexual, it was a very queer scene. Newark is a college town, and at that time it was liberal enough to have a gay student union, but conservative enough that identifiable members of that group were liable to be harassed on the street. The folks standing in line outside the state in fishnets and frankenfurter makeup every Saturday night undoubtedly widened the sphere of possibilities for gender expression on Main Street. And those midnight performances were as close to a mostly booze-free gay bar that Newark had at the time. It was a family. A loose, cliquish one divided into participants and gawkers, to be sure, but a community nonetheless. However, the show is not without its fair share of controversy, uh, especially in terms of how Richard O'Brien characterised Dr. Frankenfurter. So writer Lindsay King-Miller wrote for Them, uh, Rocky Horror is a performance, a subculture, a way of life. It's widely considered part of the queer cultural canon for its campy embrace of sexual fluidity and gender transgression. But even as the movie plays with the trappings of gender, it's not as queer or trans-affirming as it may seem. Dr. Frankenfurter, a sweet transvestite who performs science experiments in a corset and fishnet tights, reflects the trope of the trans-feminine sexual predator when he tricks Janet into having sex with him by impersonating Brad, 
and then vice versa. In a seduction narrative that upholds the most misogynistic tenets of rape culture, the formerly straight-laced couple are portrayed as being liberated by Dr. Frankenfurter's assault. Mm. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, modern audiences also take issue with some of the language, which is no longer inclusive or considered PC today. Uh, so writer Grace Larson noted, At the time of the movie's release, transvestite was a word used by the LGBTQ plus community to describe a transgender person before they had completed their transition. But today it is inappropriate language to use for transgender people. The term also refers to men who dress femininely for sexual pleasure, which is vastly different from someone who is transgender. Uh, and then Larson also noted, so in 2016, Fox did a remake for television. So I think they did the same with Grease. So they oh, okay. did the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, colon, let's do the time warp again. You might remember we went to Perth. In... Yeah, I watched it on the plane. Yeah, yeah, I watched it to Perth and then back from Perth. Um, so I thought it was good, if not a bit sanitised, but that's cool. I, it does that. So, if, of course, this was a British production with, you know, a couple of American actors. The, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the American actors are just gorgeous. In, yeah. You know, Susan Sarandon and Barry Boswick. In the new version, which is all American, everyone is good looking. Yeah. And it's that, that very typical thing in America. It's like... Riff Raff should not be good looking. Like, Riff Raff shouldn't be fuckable. Mm. But he is in this. Um, there should be something kind of unpleasant, I guess, about Magenta. Yeah. Although I found, I find Magenta in the original to be very attractive. Yeah. Um, it's it's not about that. But it's, it's, it's that thing of, like, I always go back to it because I remember seeing it in, like, the special features for one of my Red Dwarf DVDs. And they tried to do an American version of it. And the guy who plays Lister, the main character, who is just a very homely, mm. kind of like potato-looking man, he's like, the American version, Lister was handsome. He's not supposed to be handsome. Yeah. And I always go back to that, just like, oh, yeah, Americans just do that. Like, they're, they're always just handsome. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, like, in the 2016 remake, I guess they got points in a sense for making it a bit more inclusive. Like, for example, Frankenfurter is played by Laverne Cox, who is a transgender woman. Yep. Uh, and she's also black. So, yep. whereas the. Good casting. Exactly. Yep. Like, the cast of the film is just white. And. Yep. Yeah, the only, the only people of colour are. There's a couple of people in the party. Yeah. So no lines to them or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, they get points for that. And, yeah, Grace Larson notes with regards to Laverne. Uh, so she had to confront the issues with this language head-on, so being the use of transvestite. transvestite. Mm. Uh, so Laverne Cox worked with director Kenny Ortega and made the decision to keep the lyrics the same. She commented, Historically, the terms have changed and it doesn't mean the same thing today that it meant in the 70s. It's not appropriate to refer to trans people as a transvestite today, but it is used here as the character in that specific moment in history. So basically on the whole topic, Larson concludes, it's okay to love a problematic favourite so long as you acknowledge the flaws within it and those communities that may be hurt by those flaws. There is no need to phase out the Rocky Horror Picture Show so long as it is viewed with a grain of salt. The flaws of the movie have stood out only because it is the longest running movie to date. The original film did not and cannot change while the society it was released to has. So I thought that was a really good yeah. way of sort of... It's a good way to sum up a lot of problematic faves i guess and it's like i was just like because we were mentioning there's no people of color in 
in the original movie, and it was like, and my sort of first thought was, it was the seventies. Yeah. You didn't sort of really see that, you know. You didn't really see like that's an explanation, not an excuse. But yeah, like yeah, but it was that's I, the thing is like within the optics of the seventies. Like, yeah, and I'm not gonna, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that it was good. I'm oh, not no. trying to excuse it, but at the same time, it's like, but the seventies was also pretty much like the seventies and the nineties were the best decades for for cinema, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, and we did get things like the black exploitation movement. And black exploitation films are incredible. Go see some, go see Coffee. Go see Black Caesar. Go see some. But, but yeah, yeah, it's just like it was the time. Yeah, and yeah, and you can you can then then improve upon it by in you know doing a doing another version where you have a person of color who is also a transgender person. Yeah, singing this, being this. You know. Yeah. Um, I think. Like, an interesting point to note is, like, Richard O'Brien himself has come under fire for a few comments surrounding just queer identity, that sort of thing. So in March 2016, he, uh, in an interview, I can't remember which news outlet, unfortunately, but he essentially noted that he backed Jermaine Greer's anti-trans comments. So Jermaine Greer is a feminist author who is essentially TERF, so a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. She noted, just because you, and this is crass, I apologise for quoting, just because you lop off your dick and then wear a dress doesn't make you a fucking woman. Which, fuck you, that's terrible. What was the book that she wrote? Uh, The Female Eunuch, which I tried to read and I just couldn't. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, she's she's one of those people that also just likes to get a reaction. Mm. Because I remember she had, when Steve Irwin died. Yeah. And it was like, the day after... And she paid an artist to draw, basically, it was like, it was a crocodile crying, so crocodile tears. Oof. And it was like, and then, so she came under fire, and he came under fire, and then, like, the next week, he did a really, sort of, loving tribute to Steve Irwin, where it was like, animals are, like, you know, crocodiles and, and just all sorts of other animals at his funeral, and they were upset. I remember and, that, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh... I'll shed a tear for the man that tackled a crocodile. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Richard O'Brien essentially said he supported it. So he said, I think I agree with that. I agree with Jermaine Greer and Barry Humphreys. So Barry Humphreys being, you might know him as Dame Edna Everidge. Yeah. Uh, an Australian performer. You can't be a woman. You can be an idea of a woman. You're in the middle and there's nothing wrong with that. I certainly wouldn't have the wedding tackle taken off. Classy. Uh, that is a huge jump, and I have all the sympathy in the world for anyone who does it, but you aren't a woman. Which is hilarious, because Barry Humphreys wouldn't... Well, Barry Humphreys probably would, but Barry Humphreys' career wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for playing a woman. Yeah. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that Richard O'Brien said that. Um, so, I find it interesting because O'Brien identifies himself as transgender, but I suppose he has, like, a different... Like, for him, the term is used to describe, like, a feeling of being in between being a man and a woman on a spectrum, I suppose. But that was also, wasn't that in 2009? Yes. So, so Richard O'Brien might have retracted, yeah. might have turned around and gone, mm, maybe not. Yeah, I didn't see anything. I'm not yeah. sure. So, yeah, back in 2009, I think it was, he said, There is a continuum between male and female. Some are hardwired one way or another. I'm in between. Or a third sex. I could see myself as quite easily. Yeah. So, yeah. Complex individual. Mm, definitely. To say the least. Uh, so, 
Yeah, outside of just the cultural commentary, you can. We could go on for hours about oh, it. Yeah. But yeah, the soundtrack in itself, like. I don't know if you can necessarily listen to it outside of the context of... Like, the same as any musical soundtrack. Like, for instance, before I saw Hamilton, I didn't listen to Hamilton, so I was like, it won't make sense if I'm not seeing what's going on. But... Also, Hamilton's a beast, because that is that is all singing. Yeah. There's no, there no in-between talking, which I think was just exhausting mm. to me, which may be why I didn't get through the whole thing. Mm. But, yeah, regardless of my personal thoughts about how if you can separate soundtrack from blah blah blah. The Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack was released in 1975 by Ode Records and produced by English composer Richard Hartley. So the album peaked at number 49 on the US Billboard 200 in 1978, number 12 on the Australian Albums Chart and number 11 on the New Zealand Albums Chart. Um, All Music's Richard Ruhlman describes the film soundtrack as the definitive version of the Rocky Horror score. And I would agree. Yeah. I know my parents have it on vinyl. Oh, I was, yes. I was like, oh, cool. And then it was it was a vinyl pressing of a sh- like a local show that they oh, would get to. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, really? You no. don't have just like the original one? My parents have the original one, don't Yeah, worry. that's cool. We've got the hookup. That's cool. No, but it's just like, like, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Rocky Horror on vinyl. That's sick. It's like live from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Live from the fucking Nunawadding... <laughs> Bingo hall. RSL. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on the soundtrack? Like, I do listen to it a lot, independent of the film, because I know it so well. Um, I can't say I do. Um, I don't really... I think when I listen to a soundtrack, I'm, I'm writing or I'm reading, and I need something... I, I couldn't do a musical soundtrack, mm-hmm. especially with... With something like this and with something like, well, like musical, musical soundtracks, there has to be a certain level of not singing almost because you have to explain the plot. You have yeah. to explain what's happening. So again, and that's something that I kind of have a little bit of an issue with, with Hamilton is, especially when they do like rapping that's really fast. It's like, you're, you're trying to explain something to me and I can't understand what you're saying because you're going too quickly. <laughs> and it's like, I... Because of that, because of the fact that it's like, you're, you know, these aren't the best people, these aren't the best singers in the world. Like, these people don't have music careers outside of this movie. Yeah. I couldn't listen to this while I'm reading, because I'm going to be getting every word. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's why, you know, the soundtracks I listen to are like horror movie soundtracks or video game soundtracks. Yeah. Or original scores or whatever they're called. Um, so yeah, I don't listen, I don't really listen to this outside of the movie, but of course I know all the songs. Yeah. I can, you know, quote a lot of it, you know, not yeah. all of it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just think it's, it's, and it was definitely doing something, it's almost like going, okay, so Greece was, you know, for high school, this is for growing up because Greece yeah. was around about the same time, wasn't it? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, it was sort of like we're a little we're cooler. Seventy eight. Okay, so a few years later, but it's still like the music is. Yeah, it's, you can definitely tell his love for you know rock and roll from the fifties. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, people wearing lots of leather jackets and that sort of thing. Mm. 
know. I could. I could definitely. I. I and I. I could definitely see someone trying to do a more punky version, of maybe like a live show of this, mm-hmm. um, where the music is yeah done to more of like a quicker pace, yeah, sort of thing, more of like a grungier, grungier sort of. Um... <laughs> is this a good place for us to? launch on to the Rocky Horror Punk Rock show? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, I just love success. He's a credit to your genius, Master. Yes. A triumph of your will. Yes. He's okay. Okay. Okay! I think we can do better than that. So... The Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show. Are you happy for me to be doing all the commentary on this? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. All right. So. The... If, I mean, I might, might even leave editing up to you if you're. Yeah. No, I'd be down. Sick. Cool. This is my baby. Mm. So, the Rocky Horror Punk Rock Show as an overall project began in 1999, which kind of blows my mind. I don't know why. And the final product was released in 2003 on Springman Records. So I'm not 100% sure, and forgive me if I'm incorrect on this. So Springman Records, I think it used to exist just as its own entity, so being a record label, and now it is sort of tied in with Silver Sprocket, which is like a publishing label almost. So they do books and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, bear with me. I am just going to do a quick thing on Springman. So... Springman Records is an independent record label founded in 1998 by Avi Ehrlich that was run out of his parents' garage in Cupertino, California until late 2005 when Ehrlich moved the label to Sacramento. The label's official slogan is Friendly Punks, which is cute, though many other styles of music appear on the label, such as indie rock, rockabilly, ska folk, ska, folk music. I should have added a comma there. There's probably ska folk, though. Sick. Uh... Pop punk and hardcore. Then, in 2007, Springman stopped releasing albums but launched Silver Sprocket, a bicycle club that also releases records with a more collective and community oriented philosophy. I love that. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> sick? Like, it's just so good. Uh, so, the group has been involved in political and community related projects around Sacramento. Uh, as an imprint, Silver Sprocket has released albums, clothing, toys, and art related projects. So, for instance, today I ordered a copy of this album from Silver Sprocket, as well as a book that is the entire, like, collection, anthology, if you will, of a webcomic that I used to love when I was a teenager called Nothing Nice to Say by an artist, Mitch Clem, and it was basically, like, these two dudes and just their, like, music, like, punk rock kind of snobs almost, like, so it was just all these, like, stupid like, comics about, like, just being a poser and all that kind of shit. Like, it was just very delightful, so I'm very excited to be able to read it again, because it's defunct. I think you can find it on the Wayback Machine, but, yeah, so good. So, yeah, the project was founded, I guess, by Sean Browning, also known as Eddie Migraine, and he was the frontman of rock or punk band The Migraines. He got the idea from his wife. Um... So, The Migraines' Facebook bio literally just says, The Migraines were an underground 90s punk band from Fort Wayne, Indiana. They toured a lot and you forgot about them. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, yeah, Browning said he was a huge Rocky Horror fan back in high school and that the show was where some of us fit in and brought us all together. So then artists and repertoire for this album was handled by Browning slash Eddie Migraine, as well as R.V. Ehrlich from Springman Records. And then Canadian artist and comic book slash graphic artist, graphic novel writer, I should say, Steve Rolston did the artwork. So if you jump on Google, it's literally like the iconic like red lips, but with like a bunch of piercings. Yeah, yeah. So very cute. Love it. Uh, so Rolston has worked with the likes of Brian K. Vaughan, uh, Lila Sturges, and Brian Wood. That's sick. Yeah. I love to think that, so his wife uh, said that he should do it, or the, his wife gave him the idea. I love to think that he just kept talking about it and talking about it, and she just snapped one day, and she's like, why don't you just fucking record it? Yeah. Why don't you just fucking record the entire album? Get some people <laughs> to do it. Just stop talking about it. I'm sick of it. Oh, that's so good. And so I've... Just chucked in the show, like our notes, a link to a punk news review of the release by Scott Heisel, which was done in April 16th, 2004. I don't know. I I can't tell if I find this really snarky or not. But anyway, um, so he gave it three out of five stars. And it begins, years in the making, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has finally gone punk rock. And then in square brackets... Of course, I always thought the thing already was punk rock. Shows what I know. It's just like, shut well, up, like, mate. It's not about you, dude. Uh, contained on this compilation are 19 bands doing their damnedest to recreate the entire film note for note, character by character, which I don't think so. Anyway. No. Some do better than others. Some do much better than others. But while a number of songs suffer from subpar recordings, there are some highlights. And then he notes his highlights. Blah, blah, blah. Um... Yeah, so he's basically like, it's good, but it's not that. Like, it's fine, I guess. It's just like, all right, mate. I've known it's punk rock for so many years, and then when they do a punk rock cover album of this, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. But yeah, it's got, like, we won't talk about every single song. No, this has already gone long enough. As much as I would love to, but that's fine. Um, But yeah, it has an incredible, like, track list. Like, so... I'm just going to read through. So, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, Love Equals Death, Alkaline Trio, The Groovy Ghoulies, Apocalypse Hoboken, Hoboken? Hoboken. The Independence, Pansy Division, The Phenomenauts, The Secretions, Chubbies, Big D and the Kids Table, Swing and Utters, Tsunami Bomb, Lucky Strike, Stunt Monkey, Game Time, The Migraines, Ruth's Hat, and The Ataris. I feel like they definitely picked some bands that are maybe like like some some bands that sound like horror punk bands as well. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily are, but I feel like this is basically like Alkaline Trio basically waited for this moment. Yeah. Like Skeever was definitely, I'm sure when they gave him the call, like, was just, he was like, well, I've already recorded the whole album <laughs> in the style of Alkaline Trio anyway. Which song do you want? Do you want all of it? So good. I am a ghost. <laughs> yeah, P.S. I'm a ghost. So, yeah, I guess now... Speaking of ghosts, mm-hmm. Fat Mike and me first in the Gimme Gimmies. Oh, oh, yeah. Yes, that is a joke that will not translate to this podcast. No. <laughs> Unless you want to explain it. No. <laughs> okay. So, I guess the tough thing now is, like, which songs do we want to talk about? What are your highlights, I guess? So, definitely... 
Definitely me first in the Gimme Gimme's. Mm-hmm. Science, fiction, science fiction double feature. Mm-hmm. Science fiction slash double feature. Um, I wanted to talk about Alkaline Trio because mm-hmm. it's Alkaline Trio. We make fun of them. We give him shit. Who knows what he's sort of like, where his brain's at in 2020. But hey, nine, between 99 and 2003, you know, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh I want to talk about the fact that in this one album, yeah, we hear more female yeah. vocalists than we have in the entire like in fifty in fifty three episodes. Yeah, we've heard entirely exactly two female vocalists, and we're probably going to hear maybe another two in the, like in the run time of this whole podcast, mm-hmm. unless you know Fearless does some different things. Yeah, in the next couple of years, but yeah, like. How is it that there are more... And it's like, you know, there are there are female vocals, you know, sort of guesting, but there are also female-fronted bands yeah. in this. It's it's very inclusionary, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I just think that there's definitely some stuff that maybe Fearless could look at and... Take a leaf out of their take, book. Yeah, take a leaf out of that book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, what do you want to talk about? So I've got a few. So I agree, I want to talk about science fiction double feature. Uh, I want to talk about Over at the Frankenstein Place by Alkaline Trio. I want to talk about I Can Make You a Man by Pansy Division. Mm. Uh, And then I want to talk about Touch a Touch a Touch Me by The Chubbies. And I'm Going Home by The Migraines. I've also noted, and we won't give it a heap of time, I think, well, I guess, like, what's your least favourite track on this? Because I said, oh, I'd really love to do, like, the cover of Once in a While by Big D and the Kids' Table. Which is my least favourite. Yeah. Once in a while, she don't want to call you. Speaking on the telephone. And once in your life, she don't want to know you. Look around. The one you found, she is gone. So baby, don't cry like there's no tomorrow. After the night is a brand new for too long it's I guess they probably looked at it like this is the intermission because it's it's song number 11 out of 19 it's like that palette cleanse or whatever but I think you can just have a song that uh, an album that's entirely fast songs yeah you know you don't need to have that in between like fucking just like most of these songs are only two minutes long anyway like 
I don't need a seven minute just wank, wanky, just like semi kind of reggae guitars done by white people. But it's kind of just scar, isn't it? Just like chilled out scar. Yeah, but it's not, but it's but it's not though. Like it's not no. really like it doesn't have that doesn't really have that kind of like punk edge to it. That kind of yeah. I need that sort of fastness. I need that dude that sounds like less than Jake on the vocals. <laughs> like I don't just need sort of like airy, just going once in a while or whatever whatever the vocal is. It's just it's just crap ambience to me. Okay. Well, I guess like it's noteworthy that once in a while got canned from the soundtrack of the original like the film yeah um it was supposed to be one of brad's like solos i guess okay or his solo um so i guess in that sense like it's already not necessarily a song that you feel particularly favorable towards because yeah. it's not a part of the original if yeah. that makes sense um I don't know. I like it. Like, I like that they sort of make it a bit, like, sort of trippy and a bit chill, like... Mm. No. No. Well, shit. That's fine. You're allowed to like it. Yes, I am. And, and you know, we're, we're allowed to disagree on this. Like, it's just, I don't need that in my Rocky Horror Punk Rock show. <laughs> I don't need it to sound like... Yeah, like I said, just crap reggae. Mm-hmm. And somebody's saying reggae is crap, it's just this is kind of crap reggae. Okay. Yeah. But science fiction double feature. Yes. Michael Reddy was there the day yesterday still that it told us where we kicks it off on a, on a good note. So I think, like, I think the key here is that we still want to compare them to their film versions. Yes. So, like, to me, this, like, so science fiction double feature as the opener to the Rocky Horror Picture Show is gorgeous. Like, it just, very cinematic. Like, it's got strings, it's got, like, a sort of breathy... I want to say woman's voice, but it's Richard O'Brien singing. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. So it was supposed to be um, Magenta. Well, and because it was Magenta's lips. Yes. At the start of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was supposed to be Magenta. I think she she recorded it, and then he was like, "Nah," and he did it. But that was sort of the compromise. Was her lips? Yeah. Um. So just like that very breathy feminine voice, I guess. Um. Yeah, but like it's sort of. It's not like a classic musical where it sort of sets up the entire thing. Like, it sort of sets up the premise of, like, Brad and Janet. Remember the 30s and 50s. Yeah. Remember between the 30s and 50s of classic cinema. Yeah, so it sort of runs through the reels of, like, those classic 
movies that they're essentially spoofing in yeah. this. Um, and yeah, like sets up like there's Brad and Janet. Um, there's a I can't I can't remember, remember that. The Flash Gordon definitely gets referenced. Yeah. In it. I'm just gonna look up the lyrics real quick. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely hitting on those notes. I feel like there's gonna be a big button there though, with the with the gimme gimmies. No version of it no that's the thing is like so within the context of the film i love this as the opener for it within the context of a punk rock comp i love the me first one it's it's that it's short fast loud it's just the very classic like very few chords being used like power chords i imagine just like palm muting and it's like because me first and the gimme gimme's that's what they do isn't it they're just like a punk covers band so like it we, sets up the premise straight away. You know what you're getting into. We have discussed them previously. We on have, the, yeah. Uh, Paula Abdul. Yes, that's uh, right. Straight up. Yes. They did a cover of that. They did a very good cover of that. Um, I just, I like that. They're, they're, it's like, we're not going to really change what we do. Because I think it's it's not no effects. It's Fat Mike's and it may be like another member or two from no effects. But it's like, we're not just going to do no effects. We're going to, we're going to basically keep the like the punk sound but we're just gonna be a cover band yeah and i i I like that i think it's sick so what so what did you find with the lyrics so i guess yeah like so the verses are used to talk about those i guess old hollywood like b horrors like all those kinds of like is it rko like that kind of thing yeah like rko was the production company that that did king kong yeah the original King Kong. So yeah, they refer to like Michael Rennie, Flash Gordon, Claude Rains being the Invisible Man, yep. Fay Ray, King Kong, blah blah blah. The chorus does set up that basic. So yeah, science fiction double feature. Doctor X will build a creature. So they infer that there is a creature, but they don't infer that it's Doctor Frankenfurter. Yeah. See androids fighting Brad and Janet. And Francis stars in Forbidden Pl- Forbidden Planet, and then. Yep. Yeah, like, it's just, it's cute. Like, I love the chorus, like, the, yeah, well, uh, 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 like, mm. it's just, and again, I like how Me First and the Gimme Gimme is translated, like, just the, uh, 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 like. Basically, this movie is pretty much, if you watch this movie, you understand, especially their older stuff, you understand what The Misfits is about. 100%. Yeah. It's basically all of The Misfits's all the Misfits stuff from their, their beginnings was just... It was old horror and sci-fi. Yeah. That's all it was. was just... And it was great. It was it was perfect at what it was doing. It was like... There was a little bit of political stuff. So, like, Bullet is about... Is about the JFK assassination. Yeah. Um, you know, they do talk about other stuff. But it's, that in itself has become kind of like a... Like, not a trope, obviously, because that's super disrespectful, but, like, that's become, like, a pop culture moment in itself. Like, a sort of kind of horror-esque, weird, like... But kind of weirdly idolised by old people. Because I remember the Coma White film clip by Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Uh, was about the JFK assassination. He was JFK. Rose McGowan was Jackie O. Um, meow, Rose McGowan. Um, <laughs> but, like, like... Gerard doing, like... That's a huge thing on the Umbrella Academy. And, like, he and his wife have staged a photo shoot where they are Jackie O and JFK. Like, during the assassination, yeah, isn't it, as like, well? It's like, when, yeah, it's very dark. <laughs> it's weird, like, I get, like... She had a really iconic look, though. 
Jackie Owen. He was he was I, a very handsome man. I guess there's like there's just a lot of subtext. I guess it's like it's classic Americana. Like it's that sort of not Puritan because like wasn't JFK a bit of a philanderer? Oh yeah, he, him and his brother were fucking Marilyn Monroe. Right. Yeah. Um. But like. Yeah, I guess it's just that classic package of, like, sex and death and, like... Yeah. But, yeah, it's weird. Anyway, this isn't a JFK podcast. <laughs> um, but, no, I really like the Me First one. Like, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Gimme, gimme more. Exactly. Yeah. As our friend Brittany would say. Or as Black Flag would say, gimme, 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 I need some more. This is true. Um, quick mention for Damn It, Janet, because it's really cute. I love the original. I love just how awkward Brad is. Yeah. He's so cute with his, like, thick glasses and, like, he's a dork and he's all nervous about proposing and Janet's so sweet. And then, like, the love equals death version is still very cute, but it has a bit more swagger to it. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. Love it. I love you. Um, okay, track three, over at the Frankenstein place. Very, and this is Alkaline Trio doing this. Um, I'd say it's pretty faithful to the original, actually. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Like, so, like the me first version of science fiction double feature, like it's quick. It's got the palm muting. It's it's you know it's just it's punk. It's, yeah. It's, but like, it's definitely like it gives you the flavor of Alkaline Trio doing over at the Frankenstein place. Like it, it you can definitely get their sort of like goth punk feel yeah and it stays pretty faithful to the original yeah and his vo- like Skeeter's vocals definitely like has that sort of like almost like you know I make the joke like ghostly but like it just sort of like has that kind of like carry to it like the there's a line cause it's Skeeter who sings Riff Raff's part essentially so I think Dan is singing the main stuff 
but then Skiba steps in in the second verse, like the darkness must go down the river of nights dreaming, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And that, to me, it works, because, like, the songs I listen to primarily from Alkaline Trio and, like, my favourite Alkaline Trio album is Crimson, like, that to me is kind of the dynamic that I'm used to. There's just something really fitting about Matt stepping in as that riffraff character and like emoting more than what Dan is, I guess. Basically, like, Skeeba's house looks like this anyway. I, I don't even need to look at it to know that that's, that's his whole aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. It... I don't know. I. It's just a good song like again both versions like outside of the context of the musical I like that this is one of those songs where yeah it's sort of adding to the story but outside of that it can just be an analogy for in the darkest times there is a light and yeah. we like because yeah like in the Rocky Horror Picture Show like the Frankenstein place in quotes is like a beacon in the darkness, but like literally as well as metaphorically. And it's like it's their sort of their last hope. It's their last moments of normalcy before, yeah. before they enter that house and their lives change. And I get yeah, like it's sort of like the last um, I guess sort of traditional musical song, if that makes sense, before you do start to get those guitars and like yeah, and then it sort of comes back around at the end to, like, I'm coming home. Yeah. Definitely slows down. But no, I totally, like, I fully agree with you where, like, this translates both as an Alkaline Trio song and a legit cover of it. Yeah. Like, they haven't hammed it up on the Alkaline Trio element, but they also haven't lost what the original was, if yeah. that makes sense. But it's just good. Like... I wish the production was a little bit more crisp on it, but it's good. It was definitely... And when you showed me the the album, um, like when you showed me the the set list, mm. the lineup, um, that was the first band that I immediately was like, oh, okay. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, so good. I love it. Do you have any more thoughts on it, or are we going to keep going? No, let's keep going. All right. Next up, what we wanted to talk about was, or what I wanted to talk about was I Can Make You a Man by the Pansy Division. Oh, a weakling. Weighing 98 pounds. We'll get sand in his face when kicked to the ground and soon in the gym with a determined chin. The sweat from his pores as he works for his cause will make him glisten and gleam and with massage and a little bit of steam he'll be pink and quite clean he'll be a strong Nutritious, high protein, and swallow raw eggs. Yeah. Try to build up his shoulders, his chest, arms, and legs. Such an effort! If you only knew a plan that just seven days. 
So Pansy Division, for me, like, they were one of those bands... I never listened to them, unfortunately, because I was a poser, but when I was getting super into Green Day, like, the Pansy Division were one of those bands that Green Day cited as, like, being one of their favourite bands, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, Or, like, they sort of ran in the same circles, almost. Um, And, yeah, Pansy Division... So they were one of the more, according to Genius.com, they were one of the more melodic bands to emerge from the queer core movement that began in the 80s. So they... Okay, so yeah, they sort of came at the end of it because they formed in San Francisco, California in 91. And yeah, like, one of the cool things about them was, like, primarily, like, the band was mostly gay musicians and they wrote a lot of songs about, like, LGBTQ issues and themes. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, doubly fitting that they are sort of reclaiming some of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, regardless of what their interpretation of it might be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah, I like this version of I Can Make You A Man because, like, when you look at it through that queer lens that they bring to it as opposed to the lens that Richard O'Brien put on Frankenfurter. Like, it's just... I don't know. There's something about it that's more kind of... Like... uh, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of... It's got more humour behind it. It's got more sort of... Like, a little bit of cynicism, but, like, it's fun. Yeah. I don't know, like, I like just stupid things, like, when they're talking about, like, he'll do press-ups and whatever, whatever, and, like, in the background someone is, like, voicing, like, someone's straining to, like, lift stuff. Yeah. And then, like, in the background, like, at one point they're like, ooh, ah, like, it's just very (laughs) sort of, I can, yeah, I can picture it sort of being that kind of, like, heckling kind of thing at a punk rock show or something. And it kind of almost does a stripped-back version of it. Yeah. Because, yeah, the verses is just basically the sort of singing, and then, yeah, as you say, like, the the kind of, like, jeering and the taunting and whatnot. Yeah. Like, it's very sort of theatrical, I suppose. Um, yeah, this would be really fun on the stage. Yeah, yeah. But, like, whereas Tim Curry in the original is, like, very, like, Tim Curry. Like, I don't know how to put it. Like, it's Tim Curry doing the Tim Curry singing. Yeah. And just like, in just seven days. Like, these guys, they do ham it up in those choruses because they're sort of like putting it on in like that kind of performative sense. But then, like, the rest of it, it's almost like they're just reciting it, like some sort of like slam poetry almost. Like, it's. Yeah. I really like it. It's just cool. Um, it's definitely an interesting take on it. I. Oh my gosh. I was trying to see if like someone had transcribed the lyrics of the Pansy Division cover, just in case they were any different. I don't think they are, but, like, I'm just looking at some of their track names. <laughs> so, he whipped my ass in tennis, and then parentheses, then I fucked his ass in bed. <laughs> James Bondage. Cowboys are frequently secretly fond of each other. Bill and Ted's homosexual adventure. Femme in a black leather jacket. Like, fuck yes. <laughs> I love all of these. They're so good. Uh, anyway, I really like it. What do you think? I and and the whole referencing Charles Atlas, which is yeah, yeah. Um, I I had some comics with the Charles, like back in the nineties, with the Charles Atlas commercial on the back of them, 
And at that stage, it was probably just tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah, yeah. But it was a commercial that used to be put into comic books. It was just, it was a picture of, a, you know, a person getting bullied on the beach by a very muscly person, and then he subscribed to the Charles Atlas bodybuilding whatever. Yeah. And then became an Adonis himself and, and was able to, to thwart the bully. Thwart him, I say. Uh, I, I appreciate that. No, I think I've said... I think I've said what I like about yeah this, this version. I'm just looking um, at the um the, the only one the only thing I maybe um I'd maybe like say about that is when he like, it's one of those bits in the movie that cracks me up, like when they're walking to the bedroom. Yeah, Rocky and Frankenfurter, and Rocky's doing like sort of like shuffling. Like to, as he walks, because it's sort of like he's only just learned to walk, yeah. <laughs> and it always just cracks me up. And it's like when when he's like, I can't remember the exact line, but it's like the last bit in the in the line is steamed. He's like steamed, yeah. He's like rubbing his finger down, <laughs> just like emphasize the steam. Yeah. Steam. Oh, it's so silly. Like I'm just looking at the um, genius lyrics for it. So yeah, like. So in the main one, like, before the reprise, reprise of it later on. Mm. So, yeah, like, it opens with, like, a weakling weighing 98 pounds will get sand in his face when kicked to the ground, which is that ad for Charles Atlas. Like, it's just clever. Um, And then, yeah, like, the header of the old ad is the insult that made a man out of Mac. Like, it's just so macho-y. And then, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just delightful. I don't know. I am not making good words tonight. <laughs> what? I just like that. I am not making good words tonight. So, the next one that I wanted to talk about... Um, I'm trying to remember, actually, like what the reprise sounds like by the secretions, but... Because it's... Because it's not... It's the continuation, isn't it? Because, yeah. It's the it same starts... as, like, in a musical, they'll often bring back, like, that motif and, like, sort of redo a song. But in the movie, because he, cause he's singing I Can Make You a Man, then Hot Patootie happens, because mm. Eddie comes out during during that. Eddie has his whole bit, gets killed, and then it's like, the gloves come off with all the blood, and then it's like, and just, and, like, it comes yeah. back into it. It's almost, <laughs> like, it's almost like that, your favourite scene from Knocked Up, where Paul oh. Rudd gets chewed out by Seth Green, Seth Rogen. And and he's like holding a birthday cake, wearing a birthday hat for his daughter's birthday, and he's just like gets chewed out, and he's just like, ha. <laughs> it's just like it's like all this like bad stuff just happens, and then it's like, oh, let me distract you with some more singing, and it, and it continues on. It's funny, like I never quite. I think because I'm usually so taken by hot patootie, because I'm like, fuck yeah, meatloaf, love it, blah, yeah. blah. Like I forget that not much time has passed between the. The first instance of I Can Make Your Man and then the reprieve. Yeah, there's, a, there's an entire song in between. Because <laughs> that's, that's the when they walk into the, that's when they walk into the bedroom and the, yeah. the song plays. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know that was a gripe of yours where you wanted the... Yeah, I wanted it in the reprise. That like, makes just, sense, yeah. It just sort of ends. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I just love when he's like holding out his arm, the crook of his arm for like Rocky to put his arm through and he doesn't. So he like grabs Rocky's arm and puts <laughs> it. And like, because Rocky's just sort of like looking at him, kind of like a, a dad and a sexual object yeah um well there's that whole can of worms there as well i yeah we didn't really touch on that (laughs) let's not let's just not it's yeah let's not 
Because it's also, like, just very briefly before we don't, like, that's also an issue that comes up a lot in terms of, like, particularly queer, um, I guess, discourse around those, um, like, what's the word, like, play-along sort of ones where, like, people get up and do things. It's, like, a lot of the time there's, like, a large, like, range of, like, different age people that are there and, like, people who are just coming into their sexuality and they're going to these things and essentially being, like, pressured to do things that they're uncomfortable with with their bodies and stuff because that's part of that whole ritual of, like... Mm. It's... Yeah, there's a lot of things to be concerned about with this film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry to pivot so badly. Before we talk about Touch a Touch a Touch Me, I just wanted to say... So, I love the Phenomenauts version of Hot Patootie, parentheses, Bless My Soul, which is originally sung by Meatloaf as Eddie... In the film, I also want to give a shout out to Adam Lambert for doing his version in the 2016 remake. So, Adam ah. Lambert being the guy, like he was a solo artist, and then he fronted Queen for a hot minute. I think he still does front. Yeah, Queen. yeah. He fucking like it's yeah. such a joy. Like I listen to that individually quite a lot. Like it's just so. It's kind of like you look at him as well, and it's just like you're just handsome Eddie. Like yeah, you yeah. just like like it's perfectly cast. Yeah. So, yeah, I fucking love that. And yeah. it's just, like, he has the musical, like, the vocal chops to do it. Oh, yeah, like, it yeah. fucking rules. So, I just wanted to put... I'll probably chuck in that as well, because it's just so great. Whatever happened to Saturday night When you dressed up sharp and you felt alright it don't seem the same since the cosmic lights came into my life. I thought I was defined. I used to go for a ride with a Chicago and listen to the music on the radio. A saxophone was blowing on a rock and roll show. You climbed in the backseat. Like, I enjoyed the 2016 one. Not as good as the original, but if you want to hear any song from that, it has to be Adam. The yeah. end. So, Touch a Touch a Touch Me by the Chubbies. I find the Susan Sarandon one cringy, almost. It's her voice. And that's, like, it's and not I- like she's a crap singer, but it's just very sort of gentle and, like, delicate, and it makes me wince a bit. And it's it's definitely what her character was. Yeah. Was and that's very the whole point. Prim yeah. and proper and then it's like, oh, okay, no, but I want to get dirty. But it's not like it's almost like when when you hear like Magenta and Columbia come into it, it's like, okay, yeah, I can definitely feel that. But yeah. like when she's like very with a very high kind of lilt to her voice, it's sort of like yeah, it, I mean it definitely kinda of comes across as a virgin sort of to the, you know, awakening to her sexuality, 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 sexuality. Um, yeah, it's it's very, 
it's fine. Um, I still, it, it's another one of those things that I just find funny is when she puts Rocky's hands on her breasts and it, and it is kind of like a person like touching breasts for the first time because I guess it kind of is, but he's just sort of like, he's so entranced. Right? When he's <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, yeah. uh, I think like that's, yeah, I think that discomfort does stem from like, it is that sort of virginal thing. And like, it's just like, mm. oof, like I shouldn't be privy to this. Like it's a, oof, like. Yeah, it's a private moment, but it's, it's fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, the Chubbies, unfortunately, oh, I love that name, by the way. It makes me so happy. So yeah, the Chubbies were, I think, I don't think they exist anymore. Um, they were a Californian band, um, and, oh man, this bio is very, not poorly written, that's not fair, but yeah, it was founded by songwriter slash vocalist slash guitarist Jeanette Kenzales, uh, and yeah, um, to quote Johnny Loftus of All Music, he said, sound-wise, the Chubbies seemed like a sloppier, lower-fi version of the Muffs, with heavy doses of dark humour and pop hooks. Required to recruit an actual band for the purpose of touring, Kanzales found drummer Christine King through a want ad, and the Chubbies became a duo. Uh, so, yeah, I think since then, uh, Jeanette has gone on to do her own, like, solo stuff. I think she's in... Her alter ego is called a Broke Heart Pro, and apparently she's like a huge name in like psychobilly. Okay. I'm gonna this is gonna sound kinda weird. So basically like the female whenever like there's a female vocal in this in the cover album, mm. it kind of has that same sound. Like they sort of sound the same. Mm. They sound pretty samey to me. I don't know, do you get that same I know like I feel like it's sort of maybe it's like that kind of Bay Area, like California kind of voice that a lot of like it's kind of like it. It sort of it's kind of somewhere between like um, fuck. Why am I forgetting her name? Saying I love rock and roll. Who I love rock and who? Oh, I, Joan Jett. Jo, it's kind of like Joan. Wait, was no was it Joan Jett that saying I don't give a damn about your reputation? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. And somewhere between there and like the the singer of it's it's very 90s the singer of like the band from um 10 things i hate about you it's it's it takes me to it puts me in like a very warm place and it's, it's sort of like i don't care if they sort of sound the same like it's kind of like my favorite style of like female vocal it, to be perfectly honest yeah to me it just sort of evokes that like Riot girl, spelled G-double-R-L, like bikini kill, that kind of thing. And riot with two Ts. Really? I don't know. (laughs) It was a joke that you used. Oh, sorry. sorry. I'm not braining very well today. But, like, for instance, yeah, as soon as you mentioned, like, yeah, it sounds kind of samey. Like, I think of Penelope Houston, who she was best known as the singer for punk rock band The Avengers, and I, again, I don't know her stuff very well, but I remember loving a cover of, I think it's a cover, a song called The Angel and the Jerk that she did with Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day back in the day. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, it's. I don't know if it's a cover. Actually, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Yeah, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a negative sense that they. But it's kind of it's a stylistic choice, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Like sort of the same way that we have. I don't know. I can't think of it. But like how there was that patch in like the late twenty tens of like very sort of breathy, like uh, yeah. delicate kind of vocals. I'd rather not go back to that. Though. Whereas like this to me sort of evokes like Courtney Love, or, like just yeah, yeah, and I like that. Yeah, no, it definitely fills me. Like it definitely takes me back to like a comfortable place. Yeah. Yeah. And like to me that's what makes their cover of Touch a Touch a Touch Me work so well is like it's confident. It's Yes. Yes. As opposed to like this Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like sort because like yeah, the Touch a Touch a Touch Me like Susan Sarandon's one, it's kind of like the like a version of the film. But like this is sort of like an empowered like I have done this before. Yeah. When I say I haven't, I'm just being sort of suggestive, but like, let's do this. And I like that. She does make lines about being a virgin, doesn't she, in that? Uh, in Toucha Toucha. Yeah. Let me... I, I was going to say, like, because there is, like, lines of, like, you know, I have an itch to scratch. I've tasted blood and I want more. It's like, yeah, putting a bit more of a confident voice into it makes it so much more... Yeah. You say erotic. So it's saying... Yeah. <laughs> I love the way... <laughs> I love when people transcribe things really badly. So, like... The transcription of the genius lyrics for this. So this, so this is like, Janet, I was feeling done in, couldn't win, I'd only ever kissed before. And then it cuts to Columbia and Magenta. But they've spelled Columbia as Columbia, like C-L-U-M-B-I-A. And they haven't added, so it just says, Columbia, you mean she, Jeez. Magenta. And then it's meant to say, aha, but it's spelled U-H-U, so ooh 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 So yeah, I thought there's no use getting into heavy petting. It only leads to trouble and seat wetting. Seat wetting. Um, whereas <laughs> she doesn't mean like piss a seat. It means no, she gets wet. wet. I know. <laughs> no, but I remember when watching it. You I'm were not, like, Ugh. I'm not Ben Shapiro. I do understand how <laughs> women's bodily functions happen. <laughs> that would be. Imagine that. That would be so disgusting. If when we got turned on, we just pissed ourselves. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Um, so, yeah, but that's the thing is, like, there's definitely that virginal element in Susan Sarandon's, like, Janet's one, whereas the Chubbies, like, their one, like, they're being suggestive, like, oh, I've only ever kissed before. It's just like, no, I have. Like, yeah. I like that. It's good. Double thumbs up. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. We so, already talked about once in a lifetime. We have. I won't subject you to that again. So yeah, I think the last one that we want to talk about is I'm Going Home by The Migraines. And I feel like either way we had to talk about that because it's Sean Browning, a.k.a. Eddie Migraines band. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I, like I could be wrong, but I sort of picture that this was sort of bouncing around in their heads or his head before they sort of completely like formed the project overall. Yeah. Um, and also that song rules in the um, original as well. Yeah. Like, it's that sort of, like, redemption arc song for Frankenfurter, almost. Like, you feel sad for him. Yeah. Even like, though he is a turd of a person. He's a shit person. But, yeah, it's very... It is very evocative. Yeah. It, yeah, it makes you feel... just makes you feel so sad for him. Because he, cause he, he's so good at, like... You could definitely see that, like, he's so good with his words and so good with his face that... These people have given him a million chances already. Yeah. He's, he's, every time that he's, he's upset them and he's pissed them off, he's, he's been able to say the right thing or do the right thing and they've been like, oh, all right, I forgive you. Yeah. And it's, and it could be turning that on and it's, you know, this is Riff Raff's last straw, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And he could also be thinking, well, I'm going home and I don't quite want to go home yet or, yeah. You know, being an alien but yeah mm. i don't know for me like i sort of tie this into that moment where he sort of like rubs his eyes and like yeah. the makeup is all and like he's wet from being in the pool and like but yeah it is very emotional and like cinematic and in the musical or like stage show like yeah this is a very classic like closing number almost mm. yeah it's good yeah and then yeah, I like the way that the migraines handle it as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's... And then, of course, like, you have superheroes after that and then the reprise of science fiction double feature that the Ataris do. But, yeah, to me, this is sort of like we are starting to close things off. Like, it's rounding it out and it's just a good choice for both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't really... Sorry, I, I, I'm just saying yep a lot. Yep. Yep. Um, I just... Have much else to, to add to it. This has been a marathon episode. Yeah, fuck, this is probably our longest episode. Yeah. To date. Mm. I feel like some of our earlier ones for just regular ass songs were like an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. We've definitely done some pretty long ones, but yeah, this is. This has been huge. <laughs> but yeah, I think it warranted it. Like, it's. Yeah. Well, I guess before we wrap up, hell yeah or yeah nah for both. Oh. 
Come on, it's a hell yeah for both. Yeah, you can you can listen to this album. It's on YouTube. Yes, uh, I don't think it's on Spotify. It's no, not on Spotify. The only one you can hear is Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Um, it's very hard to find on like Discogs or that kind of thing. If you do want to purchase the hard copy, visit Silver Sprocket online and purchase it there. Um, yep. Yeah, I it's worth it like it's just it's fun like this to me is sort of entirely my shit like rocky horror covered by like pop punk punk yeah. whatever else um and yeah it's like it's very punk goes as well and i and i'm gonna i'm gonna circle back to what i sort of alluded to probably like an hour and a half ago um saying that you know fearless could learn a thing or two from this mm it's so tired now that, like, if their next comp is just another, if it's Punk Goes Pop 9, mm-hmm. like, and we'll we'll talk about it. Of course we will. And it's, it's like, we, we decided to do this podcast, so, you know, <laughs> we only have ourselves to blame. Yes. And we, we look, we enjoy it. I, I This is one of my favourite things that I do of a week, is get together and, and have these conversations with you. Yeah. But... I would love to see them do something different. Do something like this. Like, do take on a movie soundtrack. Yeah, that would be cool. I, I had the idea, was it last year or the beginning of this year? Punk goes Bond. Yeah. Like, do the... Like, every James Bond movie has a, has a different song. Like, do a James Bond one. Do whatever. Like, do fucking, like, horror movie soundtrack. Or, like... Just do something interesting. Like if it if it is just pop nine, or I think that's what they would be up to. Thereabouts. It's just like and it's and it's sort of at the stage where it's just like, well, what's the top forty? What's the top twelve songs this year? I get because like it's accessible. It's easy to do. Yes, you yes, can like. Yes. There's plenty of material to pick and choose from. But I do like when these kinds of comps get more specific. Like you yeah. can't bet you cannot get more specific than that movie soundtrack from the 70s. Like, no. you can't get more specific than film songs specific to films, which is what Newfound Glory have done with From Screen yeah. to Stereo 1 through 3 now, I think. Yeah. You can't get more specific than Christmas. You can't get more specific than, yeah, like, covers specifically for, like, a Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk, I should say, soundtrack. Like, mm. when you do... I don't know. And I guess because, like, I'm not a very imaginative person anymore... I like to have very strict parameters around things, but I like like I think that would work in Fearless Records' favor. I had a few ideas, like so I had like Punk Goes Bond, yeah, Punk Goes Punk, yeah, like, get punk like get modern ish or modern to modern ish punk bands doing older punk songs, like yeah, like get a band like Rufio to cover like fucking Blitzkrieg Bop, like get like. The, yeah. the new the new bands to cover the old bands because they probably played these bands they probably played these songs when they first started yeah um like punk goes punk goes television or punk goes TV and it's all yeah know, like opening themes. opening theme songs like you could do a punk version of the Simpsons theme on Sesame Street Green Day have already done a punk version of the yeah but like I know yeah I'm being silly yeah. um yeah I there are so many ideas out there that you could just go with. Well, it's even, like, Alkaline Trio and, like, a bunch of other bands, but, like, Alkaline Trio have covered a song from the Muppets for, like, the Muppets soundtrack. Or, yeah. like, a comp of 
contemporary artist covering the Muppets, like, it can be done. You can... Punk goes Broadway. Like, Yeah, that would be so sick. You know, pick a song from Hamilton. Pick a song from fucking the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Pick a song from just musicals. Book of Mormon. Like, Book of Mormon. Like, yeah. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. It's... I hate to be negative at the end of this, but it's sort of like, well, you can kind of see where the popularity was starting to wane because it was just like, oh, okay, it's another pop one. Yeah. It's another pop one. It's another pop one. Oh, and here's oh, an acoustic oh, one. Oh, here's an acoustic <laughs> one. Like, that's going to really sort of, you know, liven things up. We say this out of love. Jim Fearless, we want to get on the phone with exactly. you. Exactly. Like, we just, it's, we want to see you thrive and flourish. Exactly. But, Yeah. Yeah, if I if I keep if I continue, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> so I'm going to stop. Thank you for listening. Forward any feedback, complaints, suggestions, etc. to Punk Goes Pod on Twitter. Um, hit us up on punkgoespod at gmail Even though no one ever does, and that's fine, I guess. Um, ah, before we go, check out Era Jordan's latest album, Tell My Wife I Love Her, which came out yesterday do you want to spell that uh yes yeah, so tell mine then wi-fi as in w-i-f-i lover as in l-o-v-e-r uh check it out at erajordan.bandcamp.com it is a real treat i know you'll enjoy it um stay safe wash your hands wear a mask practice social distancing sam is pointing his finger at me what are we doing next week next week and we just ran it down it is from punko's acoustic 2 uh, don't be so hard by the audition. Well, shit. Cool. Um. Yeah. Bye. It's just a jump. Mm, that's a good one.